The first man after her spotted the situation without losing a step, reached down, pulled up her shoe, but the great, the entire grate came with it. <laughs> Surprised but still singing, the man kept on going down the aisle, holding in his hand the shoe with the grate attached to it. Everything was still moving like clockwork, still in tune, still in step. The next man in line stepped in the open register and disappeared from sight. The service took on a special meaning that Sunday, for just as the choir ended up from the grave, he arose with, Hallelujah, Christ arose. A voice was heard under the church shouting, I hope all of you are out of the way, because I'm coming out now. The little girl closest to the aisle shouted, Come on, Jesus, we'll stay out of the way. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> now there's a child with faith. She believed. She responded with faith immediately. How would you have responded to all that? <laughs> Do you believe that he was raised from the dead? Easter is our celebration time of the resurrection of Christ. It's central to the gospel. And the very reason we're a church. In fact, I believe that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And the reason we worship on Sunday is because that's the day he arose. There's a, a, a faction, if you would, in the church in America that says we need to worship on Saturday. And there's some historical reasons for that. It's, it's an, they have a valid argument in one sense. It's the uh, Jewish Sabbath. But we're not Jews. We've been set free from the law. And I believe that... Uh, God is pleased with our worship on the day that he rose his son. Each week we, we, we celebrate that. If there is no resurrection, then there is no gospel. We've talked about that, and consequently no Christianity. It's, it's the central piece of the, of the gospel and of Christianity. This little girl had embraced the resurrection to the point that her natural response was to see, speak directly to the living Christ whom she thought was coming up through the floor of the church. I would that we all had that type of response. <laughs> I would that I had that kind of faith. That childlike faith where she believed. Here he comes. Today. What if he did come today? This isn't in my notes, but what if he did come today? Man, wouldn't that be awesome? There was basically two responses to the empty tomb, as, as Luke described. And I want to take a brief look at them, and then take a look at why the resurrection is important to us. So if you have your Bibles, I think it'll be up here. Let's look at Luke 24, 1 to 12. I was going to do the uh, Emmaus Road this morning, but I looked at this and went, no, this is, this is where we need to be, I believe. So Now, on the first day of the week... Very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in, in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? 
Boy, that's a neat statement, isn't it? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the leaven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And the words seemed like idle tales. And they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. May God bless his word. Let's just pray for a second. Father, we ask that you would just come and enlighten your word to us, and enlighten this, this central theme of what you have done for us, the resurrection. You've, you raised your son and because of that, you're going to raise each of us. Lord, we just, uh, we look forward to that day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And pray maybe you do it here, but Lord, let me finish this sermon too. So empower us. Speak, through, speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to first just take a brief look. The women were the first to show faith in Christ. And in, uh, in those first 10 verses, verses, it says, in verse 4, it says they were perplexed. They, they um, went to the tomb and it was open. That was not what they were expecting. They were, they were coming to dress the, the corpse. And they were going to put spices in it. And then one of the things they did is they'd roll it in, in linen, which he was already in linen, but they would fix him so that he wouldn't deteriorate quite so quickly. They could not understand when they got there, what they were looking at. Then they have this first-hand encounter with angels, and they're trembling. I don't know if you've ever seen an angel. I have not. But I've met some people who say they have. And it is an incredible encounter. Because they're otherworldly, as it were. And here's these two men, apparently angels, and they show up as these women are trying to figure out what's going on, and uh, it overwhelms them. In verse 5, it says, Then as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth. The first thing they did, and you'll see this through Scripture, is when angels show up, people go to their face. They go right down on the floor or the earth. Remember Joshua meeting the captain of the Lord's host? Once he realized who it was, he went down. It's all through Scripture. Mary, who, whom, uh, excuse me, they were amazed even though they had not seen him, yet save Mary, whom we hear about in another gospel. They report back to the disciples and they think basically they're just funny, crazy ladies, sort of loony in one sense. And the disciples don't know what to do either. One lady wrote in a question and into a question and answer form. She said this, Dear Sirs, our preacher said on Easter that Jesus was swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think about that? Sincerely bewildered. F person uh, Charles, he wrote back, he said, Dear bewildered, 
beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes, nail him to a cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his side, put him in an airless tomb and see what happens. Sincerely, Charles. Now think about that for a second. I don't know if you've ever heard that. But people make up all kinds of things about the resurrection not being true. He was dead. But he was risen too. Second thing to see is the disciples themselves. Peter and I believe John was with him. We get that from the Gospel of John. John ran out ahead of him. And uh, he stood there at the corner of the tomb, and then Peter ran right on into the tomb himself. Look at what Luke says about the reaction of these male disciples. Um, they, they didn't believe it. They didn't believe the women. It seems like they, to them, the women had given wives' tales, idle tales, if you would. It did not amaze them. It bewildered them. Luke reports that Peter ran to the tomb to check it out. And we know from John's gospel that John went right along with him. And they both left puzzled. They weren't sure what had happened. You know, it's amazing to me. How many times did Jesus say through, the, through what we know of the gospels, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, but on the third day, don't worry, I'm coming back. Did they believe him? Apparently not. That ought to be an encouragement for us when we struggle with things because... The men who walked with Jesus right next to him held his hand, wrapped their arms around his arms, ate with him. They struggled believing at times. It's not an excuse, but we can say, hey, I'm struggling at times too. Where do you find yourself? Do you believe that, that Jesus was risen or do you need more proof? I'm assuming we're all believers here this morning. I don't know that because I don't know all of you. But it's a question to ask, you know. Maybe look at yourself occasionally and say, you know, do I really believe this? Am I really resting my future on this? The fact that he did rise up from the grave. The women had to take this by faith up to the time they saw Jesus. The men went in and looked, and they still didn't believe. I expect over the years you've heard lots of stuff about the gospel, or about the resurrection of the gospel, but at times you may not be sure. You have questions that you may need to have answered in order for you to commit and believe Maybe today some will be answered, maybe not. But one thing is for sure, no matter how many are answered, you will eventually have to come to the place of accepting it by faith. Now there's really good reason to believe. There's the Bible account, there's historical records. I listened to a little thing by Lee Strobel's this morning. He says there's a hundred and, I think it was 135 noted historical records uh, um, text, if you would, of the resurrection of Christ outside the Bible. There's, there's so much evidence that he was raised, it's not even funny. But yet we still don't believe sometimes. 
So you have to accept it by faith. That, it, it'll come to a point of faith. Faith, based, on, faith ba- based in good explanations. But still it will be a step of faith. And I believe it will be the best step you've ever taken if you've never taken that step this morning. What I would like to do for the rest of this message, sort of whip through the first part of this, is look at seven reasons that I would bet my life on the resurrection. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing if you haven't. I I sort of think we all have, but you might want to turn around and give these to somebody else. Seven reasons why you should bet your future on the resurrection. The first one, the first reason that I would bet my future on the resurrection is the fact that the early disciples and apostles, their preaching was filled with with the whole issue of the resurrection. It It was a major part of their preaching. The resurrection was central to their teaching and to their preaching. I think we have some verses of scripture. I'm going to whip through these real quick. But Acts, 29, or Acts 2, 29 to 32. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. How important was David to the Jewish community? He was very, very important. But he went on to say, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit at his throne. It's right there in his message. Peter's, I believe this is Peter's first message, and he's, he's just laying it out. Jesus was risen. Jesus was risen from the dead. Uh, Acts 3, 14. If you have that, if you can pop that up there. I don't know if we can get all these that quick or not, but But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You remember the story of Barnabas or or Barabbas. Um, Verse 15, and kill the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Boy, he goes right at it. And again, the the book of Acts and the initial preaching of the the, uh, disciples was all filled with the resurrection. Look at... uh, Chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, Acts 4. Um, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to the, them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, speaking to the Sanhedrin, you know, they got him on trial. If we <clears throat> this day are judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well, uh, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. It was the power of the resurrection that Peter's referring to healed the man who was raised uh, up, uh, whose legs were healed. Chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you murdered, by hanging on a tree. You ought to go down a little further in that passage. It says when he told them that, they were furious and they were ready to put him to death. But they couldn't get around it. The resurrection was so central to everything they believed. It had had fired them up, if you would. I fear that, I I thought about this while I was getting ready for this, that, 
in modern preaching, we spend a lot of time on, on trying to make people feel good. And I, there's, I, there's no problem with that in one sense. But we've missed the resurrection. That will make you feel good. When you and I are raised to be with him in heaven, I'm going to feel really good. Heaven's a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. The old little kid's hymn goes, man, I'm looking forward to it. And I know that I'm going to be there because he was raised. He's the first fruits. Acts chapter 10, verse 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. They were pumped because Jesus had spent time with them after he was risen from the dead. In fact, we looked at that passage in 1 Corinthians. Over 500 people recorded have seen, have, having seen him. Lee Strobel's this morning said, and it was only one of those three-minute clips, you know, but he said, look, there is so much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's historically valid that if you don't believe it, that's on you. You've decided not to believe. It's there. He was risen. It was their ultimate motivation, for they'd been with Jesus and had seen him raised and spoken to him and eaten with him and heard his teaching on the future and been inspired to give themselves totally the taking of the gospel to the world because of the resurrection. And the rest, they say, is history. The gospel has spread for 2,000 years continually because the first 12 have witnessed and spoke and taught and preached the resurrection. And I don't know if you realize it, but the gospel's spreading like wildfire in mo most of the rest of the world. Here in America, it's slowed way up. Hopefully, this revival that's going on is going to ignite a fire in America. And the gospel is being proclaimed and spreading literally like wildfire across the rest of the world. Second reason why you can bet your future on the resurrection is because of the resurrection, Jesus paid the price for your sin and assures you of your future. Acts 13, 38, and 39 says this, And by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could be justified by the law of Moses. I'm reading from the back wall. So, Verse 40, have you got that? Or 38, I read that one first, I think, yeah. So anyway, the resurrection proves that Christ can and did pay the price for our sins. He paid the price, and he proved it by the fact that he was raised from the dead. He overcame sin and death by coming up from the grave. Romans 4, 23 to 25 says this, Now, it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now I had to go back and look up the word imputed. I probably learned it in seminary, but I, I don't camp out on that word. But imputed just means that when, when God looks at us, 
Jesus' righteousness is ours. And he sees us as if we were Jesus. His righteousness is imputed or given to us. And the only way he could stamp that so that you and I know that that righteousness is ours is he proved that he overcame sin by the resurrection. That's key to our faith. You and I have been justified. He was raised for our justification. He alone paid the price. He alone set us free from the penalty of sin. Verse 24 says, or verse 25, it says, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. We're justified. We're, we, we're as if we were Jesus in God's sight because of what Jesus did. Now, that ought to be liberating <laughs> because I want to tell you, no matter what you do once you're a Christian, and I'm not suggesting you go out and sin. Paul, Paul talks about in Romans 6, you know, don't go out and just sin because, of, because grace abounds. But because you've been justified and God looks on you as if he sees Jesus, you don't have to bear the burden of your sin. We all fail. 1 John 1, 9 says, if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We need to do that. But in the midst of it, we're still right with God. The resurrection proves that. Why would I bet my life on the resurrection? The third reason is the resurrection guarantees You'll have power for victorious daily living. Romans 6, 4 says this, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Because of the resurrection, we are symbolically buried in baptism, and then we're symbolically raised up in newness of life. But what goes on in our heart is real. We are new creatures in Christ. Chapter 8, verse 11, Romans 8, 11 says this, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He could not give us His Spirit if He was not raised from the dead. We could not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us if he didn't prove that he had the ability to overcome death and give out the Spirit, if you would, after that. The resurrection points to that. Chapter 8, verse 31. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not... With him also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. It goes back to that whole theme of justification. The justification is set there because of the resurrection. Verse 34 says, Who is, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. The resurrection Again, proves his justification for us, but also proves he has the power to help us live daily for him because we're filled with the spirit that he gave after the resurrection.
The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, dwells in the believer and gives him power to overcome the trials and temptations of life. That same Holy Spirit is so powerful as to raise him, is also so powerful as to give us victory through the rough places of life, as well as fellowship with us during the normal, everyday things of of our lives. Why will I bet my life on the resurrection? The fourth reason is the resurrection gives us hope for a better future. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it's the prayer of Paul, the first prayer in Ephesians of Paul. He says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he did what? raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Listen, that same power that raised him up is resident in us. That's an awesome thing. (laughs) I think we, we, we either we don't meditate on it, we just sort of take, sort of lose perspective of it. But the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is a, is indwelling us and is going to raise us up as well. We have so much to look forward to. One sense we live in sort of a hopeless world, it seems to me. The whole, not to get into politics, but the whole left side is not based on anything Christian. And consequently, there's no real hope there. This whole woke thing that's going through our culture right now is hopeless. It's not based on reality or consistency of logic or reason. It's not based on Scripture. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have something to look forward to. We're going to be with Him in heaven. And we're going to get to experience a new heaven and a new earth when that's all put together. John chapter 6, verse 40 says this. Can you pop that one up there? I'm going to let him do it so I don't have to flip through the pages. It takes too much time. For this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. He's going to raise us up. How could Christ raise us up if he is not alive and does not have the power to do it? And he proved it when he was resurrected. Easter Sunday, the first one. The Sunday school teacher told the fifth grade class that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. One student raised her hand. She said she knew why. Teacher said, why? Jesus only used it three days. Tim Single tells this story. 
My brother served his first parish in Mazalonian, Ohio. I hope I pronounced that right. As an associate pastor with the late Pastor Maurice Mo White. Pastor White was a very large, strong, and vibrant man. During one Lenten season, one of the older but faithful members of the church came down with her husband to an evening Lenten service. As they were leaving the service, the woman somehow fell down the outside flight of steps and broke her hip. For some unknown cause, she did not recover from the hip surgery and died in a few short days. Pastor White stood with the bereaved husband by the casket the night before the funeral. Many people came to offer their sympathy. Some were saying to the sorrowing husband, God must have had a plan for this, so accept it. Another said, it was God's will, and we must live by it. Have you ever heard those? As a pastor, I've heard those. Sometimes I've actually said them. But they hurt. Still another said, somehow God planned this test of your faith. And still another said, there is a silver lining in every cloud. You will find God's reason behind this eventually. Pastor White left that funeral home filled with a very strong emotion of anger at the babbling, as he put it, he heard that evening. He went to the study and rewrote the beginning of his funeral sermon. I I like this. (laughs) Pastor White began his funeral sermon with this phrase, My God does not push old ladies down church steps. (laughs) Then he proceeded to explain that God cannot be blamed or accused for all the brokenness of this world if God is the author of death, how, how can he be at the same time the author of life as shown through the resurrection we celebrate each Sunday, and especially on Easter? Is God the God of the living, or is he the God of the dead? Which is it? You cannot have it both ways. He's the God of the living. He's the God of the resurrection. Why am I betting my life on this? The the fifth reason is the resurrection is key to salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, one of the great verses that I think you need to share with people when you're explaining the gospel, says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has what? Raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. The resurrection is key to the salvation message. It's key to us being saved. In Acts chapter 26, uh, Paul, I believe, is preaching. In verse 19, he says, um, there it is. Therefore, the King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to the small and great, saying no other thing than those which the prophets and Moses said would come that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul held that message to the day he died. And I believe the reason the early church 
really up until about the 4th or 5th century, took over the Roman Empire. The church preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they believed it fervently. Eleven of the twelve apostles died martyrs' deaths because they stood on the fact of the resurrection. John being the exception. He was boiled in oil. I don't know how he lived through that. He was boiled in oil on Patmos, and he lived to tell the story. Why would I bet my life on this? The, the sixth reason is, if there is no resurrection, there is nothing after this. We've looked at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Let me just read this little bit of this real quick. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. Paul called his whole ministry into question with that very paragraph, if you would, saying that if there is no resurrection, there is no Christianity. And we've based, this church is based on the resurrection, whether you realize it or not. The church I pastored for 17 years, we're based on the resurrection. The church from the time of Paul to this day, if it's a true church, and and there are untrue churches, please, but if it's a true church that's biblically oriented, it bases itself on the resurrection. Although we don't always preach it, I think we need to get back to that. In 1887, 22 years after the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln, his coffin was dug up and opened because there were constant rumors that his body was not in the grave. So they dug it up and the body was there. Ho, ho, ho. The rumors continued another 14 years later. So they had to dig it up again. Both times, witnesses were present who testified that Lincoln was still in the grave. Three days after the death of Jesus Christ, similar rumors began to spread throughout the land of Israel. Only this time, there were no witnesses who could say that they had seen his body. In fact, to the contrary, many witnesses claimed to have seen him out of his grave and even talked with him after the resurrection. As great a man as Lincoln was, There were witnesses to prove he was still in the grave. If one of our presidents or another leader in our government were to to cry out today to Lincoln for help, there'd be no response. (laughs) If a scientist were to cry out to Einstein for help today, there would be only empty silence. If someone were to call out to Mohammed or Buddha or Gandhi, today there'd be no help. But if you and I call out to Jesus Christ, there's instant power available. He hears us, and he responds if you're just, make sure you're tuned in and watch. I don't know if you've ever heard of um, Henry Blackaby's Knowing and Doing the Will of God. But he says in there, the first thing to do is to, when you pray, is to watch. Because God answers. And he does. The last reason I'd bet my life on this and my eternal future 
on the fact of the resurrection is the fact that Jesus did come and he fulfilled tons, if you would, Old Testament prophecies. I believe, I, I couldn't remember exactly, I'm getting old, but I believe it was 387 prophecies in the Old Testament that were written about him. I found one in Amos this, this last week that I didn't even know was there. 387. Do you know what the likelihood of that is? The probability of that? It's 1 times 10 to the 60th power. What that means is it's 1 out of 10 with 60 zeros after it. That's like a quadrillion or something. They have to make up words to get out that far. One man said that, that if you wanted to get one Jesus who fulfilled, I think it was five or even ten of the prophecies, it would be like scattering um, uh, silver dollars all across the state of Texas, a foot deep, and then walking out somewhere and picking up one of them, and that just happened to be the one that had Jesus' name on it. He fulfilled all 387 of them, or 86. I don't remember exactly how many it were. It is. <laughs> I'll bet my life on that. That's more sure than our stock market. That's more sure than the real estate market is. That's more sure than any gambling casino you can go in. Jesus is the rock that we can depend on and stake our life on. And the resurrection is the, is the fact that we, is the, is the seen fact of, of the fact that we have a risen Savior and a, and, a, and a firm foundation, a firm belief in Him. I think another is the church itself. Some people poo-poo on the church, and I know there's a lot of problems with the church. But listen, the church has been doing good for 2,000 years. The church that follows this learns, learns to love others and walk with God's um, spirit, leading and guiding and directing them. The church proves that the risen Christ is working in and through the body of Christ. Let me ask you, why do you want to keep this church going? This isn't in my notes. But I believe, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe that God started this church. God has something for you to do. God has a purpose for this place. God wants to use you. He needs this outpost. We're all in the army of God. We follow the risen Savior. He's, he, he's got a place and a purpose and a desire to reach Helena partly through this church. He's not finished with you yet. And that proves to me that there's a resurrected Savior who's, who's involved. He's not sitting on the sidelines. He's right here in our midst. I could go on, but when I first believed, it was for the simple fact that I was a wretched sinner and I knew I needed what only God could give me through Jesus Christ. And that was forgiveness and cleansing from my sin and a new life. And he did that. He saved me. September 19, 1976, at an Amway convention. I'll give you my testimony sometime, but I got cleaned on the inside and out that day. <laughs> know anything about Amway? 
When you take the step of faith, he will come into your life by the Holy Spirit, take up residence, and will change your life to nothing but good. You'll have your struggles. You'll have problems. If you've been a Christian for very long, none of us are perfect. But because he's resurrected, I can call out to him, and I can confess my sins, and I can continue to walk with him. Will you trust him? If you don't know him today, will you trust him? What a, a great day to do it is on Easter Sunday. He'll give you his Holy Spirit who will come into your heart and make your life new. That's what it means to be born again. You get a new start. You start all over. You start making your life new. If you don't know him today, there's nothing greater than to say yes to the Savior and let him come in. Let's pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Speak to our hearts. Thank you that we worship a living, resurrected, Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us, but also hearing, working, and dwelling us by the Spirit. We thank you for that. We thank you for this Easter Sunday that is a commemoration of, of the fact that you came up out of the grave. Up from the grave you arose. God, I pray that if there's anybody here in this place who's never experienced you firsthand, who's never said yes to the Savior, I pray this morning that they would just simply go, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need you as my Savior. And I'd ask that you would come and take control of my life, take over my life. You'd be, you, you're in the driver's seat now. Forgive me for my sin. Cleanse me. Make me new. And God, because... Jesus rose from the grave. I know that he will do that for those who will just step out with mustard seed, just a little bit of mustard seed faith. So bless them this morning. Bless this congregation. Fill them with your, with your spirit. Fill them with the expectancy of the great things that you're going to do. Lord, um, open doors. Bring them a pastor. Bless them. 